the current system we build relies on nature to do all the work and that is declining rapidly we don't know how much it's going to decline but i it's sort of like well let's let's just see how much the boat leaks is like not necessarily a great like approach heading into a storm and welcome back to another episode of who's saving the planet today we are going airborne but first my two fearless co-hosts welcome christy taylor and jonas donenfeld field felt donenfeld field it's got the field it's got the mistake Listen, dyslexia is my calling card here. So I, I have, it's like horseshoes and hand grenades with names. I get as close as I can. It's okay. It's, it's not even the worst that I've heard. So kudos for that. That is absolutely <laughs> the bar that I usually go for is like there are things that are worse in the world. So I appreciate that, Jonas. Well, thanks so much for having me. I can't wait to, for us to dig into this. This was such a fun interview. Um, Tell me about you guys actually went out into the world to see this company firsthand and the company is drone seed and we talk with the ceo grant canary but tell us first of all what was it like to actually see these drones in the wild yeah so so christy took me along on her voyage to the garage that is the drone seed headquarters um and we we walked into their open sort of front door that was the garage and came face to face with these giant drones literally the size of like a few great danes <laughs> but rotating great danes just rotating at top speeds that is a tremendous visual so like these are like literally the size of uh, a minivan maybe like a, a little a little smaller but they're like much bigger than you would have anticipated yeah i think he said that they're eight feet in diameter so these are really industrial grade drones and um christy can you tell us a little bit about what is the mission that drone seed is pursuing so they want to speed up reforestation efforts that are currently very slow yeah and grant gave us some really good visuals of the difference between planting on your own two feet doing this sort of seed in the ground uh, just walking through the land work versus how much more you can get done with a drone, which was really impressive. Yeah, this uh, obviously it's very topical. What with the fires that we are experiencing now, and so it's never been more important for us to reforest these areas as quickly and as efficiently as possible. There's unique competition in this industry. You would think they could just go out there and plant seeds unaffected, but we've got the marijuana industry, which is threatening reforestation. Oh, Christy's right. There's uh, nurseries are, are now fighting for, for different uh, plants to grow in them. So you have trees and now you also have marijuana plants and which is more, um, you know, profitable, not usually the trees. Not usually the trees. There's this metaphor that someone I used to work with said that every startup is like a uh, a seedling that grows in a forest where you have the canopy overhead and your startup needs to prove its worth so that it can continue to reach the sunlight. And until you get to that point, you are struggling for every inch and every you know, vertical and she can get closer and closer to that canopy. And so I, I was so impressed to hear the way that Grant has been approaching this problem, the technology that they've developed in order to be able to address both 
combating the amount of carbon debt that we have and also this immediate problem of reforesting areas that have been devastated by fire. So it's a wonderful confluence of both a mission and a timely need and the technological technological developments that we needed in order to make it plausible. So it was a lot of fun and he was great too. Absolutely. Yeah. He was, he was wonderful to talk to. And, and just on your point of how topical this, this company's mission is, they've already started expanding into other States where they just started, you know, on the West coast and they're moving into now like California and Nevada and Colorado, I think even. So there is this big draw for a lot of other States to have the kind of technology that he's producing to, you know, reforest all of these, you know, wildlife areas that have just burned in, you know, the last few years. Yeah. So without any further ado, let's get into it. Here's our conversation with Grant Canary, the CEO of Drone Seed. Welcome to another episode of Who's Saving the Planet. Today, we have with us the founder and the CEO of Drone Seed, Grant Canary. Grant, welcome on board. Hey, thank you. In addition to that, as you heard in the introduction, we have two of our faithful and intrepid Who's Saving the Planet Planeteers, Jonas and Christy. Welcome on, guys. Thanks Good to be here. Yeah, simultaneous welcoming. That's how we roll. Okay, so we are so excited to dive into Drone Seed, what it is and what it does. Nothing could be more timely right now. Uh, Jonas and Christy are both on the West Coast with you, Grant, and we are all living through the very real manifestation of climate change in the devastation that it has wrought on the West Coast with the fires. And so we're going to get into that. And I want to preface this by saying this is the first time that we are accompanying the audio with a full-on visual presentation from our host. And in true Who's Saving the Planet fashion, we are going to aggressively stumble forward with a relentless <laughs> regard for preparation. And so if you are not getting the full experience of this on the podcast, check out our YouTube. You're going to see that there. You'll be able to see the whole thing with the presentation. But I'm going to walk us through us along the way. That's my spiel to start it off. Grant, Let's start with the beginning. Tell us about your company. Tell us what it is and what it does. Yeah, so we are Drone Seed. Um, we utilize heavy lift drone swarms, which usually catches people's attention. They're like, wait, what? And we reforest after wildfires. Um, we can reforest in a lot of broader contexts, uh, rangelands, others, but specifically forests after wildfires is where we are uh, singularly focused right now and have product market fit. Um, mission of the company, make reforestation scalable to mitigate the worst effects of climate change. And uh, we are, this is a, the way I like to frame it, the opening pitcher in a lot of uh, successions of pitchers or technologies that need to come online to sequester carbon. Trees mm -hmm. are the technology that has evolved uh, to sequester carbon really, really, really efficiently over eons. There will be other things that start to mature such as direct air carbon capture etc but those need time and so we're we are the opening pitcher they may be the closing pitcher but this is what's ready to scale sequester carbon today um, how we make money we are paid per acre as a service uh, to reforest and we get paid by land managers so those can be nonprofits like the nature conservancy um, that can be tribal nations government agencies and timber companies uh, so we work with three of the five largest timber companies, and then we also work with um, 
there is about 50% of private um, ownership of forests is small individual uh, forest owners. So um, they're being impacted by fires all over the West and would love to uh, be working with folks that are impacted. So um, people can reach out for an assessment of um, if they if have, have experienced uh, fire, they're wondering what to do with the forest next. Um, you can contact us on our website, droneseed.com and we're able to help provide a satellite assessment of this is the burn severity. Um, if you have structures and aren't able to get out there because of road blockades, et cetera, um, we can help you with that. So usually when we kick it off at the beginning, I'm like, what happens, what, what happens? And it's like, okay, we need to unpack so much in that. And I'm really excited too, because you said a lot of things that I understand and a lot of things that I don't, which is the best mix. But before we do that, can you just tell me a little bit about like, the, the story of Grant, how did you come to this place in your life where you, I mean, I can't, I can't imagine you just started off and said, I've got an idea. Here's a hillside. Here's a drone. Let's make this happen. So what, how did you become, how did, how did this idea germinate pun intended and where, where did you come from to, to be this person now? There's a, there's an improv game called once upon a time. And I feel like that's <laughs> where we're headed, which is um, once upon a time, I was a high school student. I had an awesome English teacher and they got me thinking about like, what did I, what did I want to focus on? A lot of different like philosophies in the world, existentialism, utilitarianism, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And um, I really started to focus on climate change because it looked to me at that time that that was the problem that all other problems reported to, meaning that as a, a any smart or motivated or both individual could go out and work on a hard problem, education, health, uh, violence in any form, et cetera, to try and reduce those, mitigate those. But I looked at it and to me, I thought, look, if we look to the historical precedents of the great hunger in China or the Dust Bowl in the US, those problems don't have any more time on the clock um, to be for smart people to work on if our social, political, and economic systems are falling apart as they did during those times in history. And I looked at that and the, the common trends there were um, economic mismanagement and severe climate like impacted change. Um, and that's usually as a function of human intervention. So for me, that that's where I started. And so when I went through and uh, developed in my career path, um, everything I've done has been in sustainability um, since. And that um, US Green Building Council in the Cascadia region had the t-shirt before it was cool and the rebel organization <laughs> inside the USGBC. It was just the CEO and me as an intern, um, unpaid, uh, but volunteering my time in the summer uh, to Vestas Wind Energy, um, working in China, Denmark, the US, change management projects for uh, executive teams, and then built a whole other company, uh, which was nearly uh, nearly a decade of life um, in a truly non-conventional fashion. Uh, did my master's degree in Bogota, Colombia. Um, cool. I was born and raised in uh, suburbs of Portland, went to school in LA at Occidental College, um, spent about 10 years abroad taking food waste, feeding it to maggots. They're high in proteins and fats. So you turn them into industrial fish feed. And that was my master's thesis and a startup, solving a couple problems simultaneously, food waste, minimizing it, getting it through back into the system as a useful nutrient faster, 
reducing overfishing of the smallest species and then um, got acquired. And so that acquirer, uh, Canadian company, went to work for them, built a maggot factory, which is, I think, for a lot of people, a really scary proposition. Um, no, we but, love uh, that here. We're all about that. That is that is completely on brand for us at Who's Saving the Planet. Maggot factory is not even like not even cracking the top five strangest things we hear about. Yeah. So, so took it from the lab, built a 6,000 square foot uh, factory and then a 60,000 square foot factory to create uh, sustainable feed for uh, industrial fish farming. And so there must have been some point then when you got out of that and then there it sounds like you're you're like a sustainability hammer and you're just looking for nails wherever you can find them. And so somehow there must have been a, a, a moment of inspiration where you realize that the timing is right, where we have the technology to use these drones, because that's been in the last five years or so, right, that this has come to scale. And yep. so when was that moment? What was that moment when you were like, I see this perp, this utility for this tool that no one else is using in this way right now? I wanted to make a dent directly on carbon, not tangentially, not in a, I wanted to like actually sequester carbon, pull it out of the atmosphere. Cause right. I, I somewhere missed a memo that all of the models for a bright future, 350 parts per million, 2C, whatever, all, they all assume that as rational humans, we will invest in technologies over the next 20 years that will pull carbon out of the atmosphere. And that is required to have a bright future because if we don't do that, uh, we've already emitted too much. And so we are still going to see the effects of climate change. So even if it was all windmills, Teslas, and everybody had a perfectly energy efficient home, we have already emitted too much. So we have to pull stuff out. And that technology doesn't really exist in a scalable form today. Uh, yeah. So went through a bunch of really bad ideas uh, to how could I make a direct impact on carbon? And I know they were bad ideas because I went through the lane startup process and was sharing them with people. And they're like, no, no, don't ever do that. Like I would never spend money <laughs> on that. And they saved me five years of my life um, because I did not attempt to do some of those things. Or in some cases, it's a great idea, but I just wasn't positioned with the amount of money or with the like the the access in society that was needed to pull off that idea right timing and uh resources are the unsung heroes of entrepreneurship where if you don't have those two things your idea and however much hustle you have only takes you so far yep so let's talk about then now that we've got a little bit of context we've got a little backstory <laughs> tell us what we're looking at here so on the image right now that we all see on the left, you see a studious gentleman wearing a hunter's orange hat staring at a laptop and on the right, an aerial shot of what I'm guessing are like mammoth drones that we don't realize are as big as they are. So let's talk first of all about that. What is the yeah. size of this drone? Give us like a, a comparison for how big this thing is. They are really large. So they're about eight feet in diameter um, and they carry a 57 pound payload. So that is first and foremost, when people think drones, they're like, okay, most people don't may or may not be aware. They're thinking DJI because it is. It, it has, I think last I looked about over 50% of consumer market share as far as the um, drones. Um, and so people are thinking smaller. No, these are very, very, very large. We're one of the first industrial drone companies meaning like we, we're not putting a camera on there or a laser. We're actually doing work and moving significant um, sized part like payloads. 
Yeah, eight feet in diameter. That's like a beetle. You have like a drone the size of a, a small car. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And uh, I mean, you stand it on end and it's taller than I am, obviously, because I'm not in the NBA. So <laughs> um, that's that's the size of these of these aircraft. Um, they break down. We transport them around in roadie cases like you would for like expensive music equipment for shows and things like that. But yeah. um, that's that's the size of the aircraft. And then more importantly, we fly them in groups. So swarms. So we have we're the first and only that's FAA approved to be able to fly up to five aircraft at a time with one pilot. So that studious gentleman at the left that you mentioned that's looking at the laptop, what they, what uh, he's looking at um, is another gal is, um, what is the flight path? Uh, and it's for all five aircraft. And so what we're able to do is have five aircraft at a time carrying a 57 pound payload each, and then they're dropping a seed vessel. And that seed vessel is then, um, boosting the seed survival rate so that uh we're seeing establishment of trees um, did you did you come I, at yeah. this saying here's the size of the drone this is what it can do or did you say this is what i need the drone to do i'm gonna go build the thing that can do it i didn't even start with like the drone per se in the sense that like yes they're like i didn't have a physical drone it was much more okay, I have this idea before I buy a drone, before I start mocking stuff up, let's go talk to everybody I can find that is even remotely related to forestry and ask them if this would be helpful. Mm. And so a lot of them, I mean, this is where like people in forestry um, have spent a ton of time figuring all of this out and figuring out the system that we have today. And so it's really important to re respect that experience and not just be like, oh, uh, tech has discovered trees. Um, so like, that's really important. Like there's people who are like the, the 70 year old foresters that are out in the woods. Like it, it's one of these rare professions. They, they plant forests knowing that they may not be around in their career to ever see them at maturity or log. Uh, so they're literally like, you're almost like discuss, like you're, you're out there at a tree farm and it's a tree farm. It's a farm, not a, uh, for, for foresters that are in the timber sector. And they're like, yeah, that is super dense. And I don't like the way they did that. And they know who it was, but that person's been gone for 20 years. But you said some interesting stuff there. So let's let's start at the beginning, right? We always go problem, solution, viability. The problem seems relatively self-evident. Trees are dying in lots of ways, be they timber or be they fires. Um, and I'm sure many more ways. And so I, I don't think we need to spend too much time belaboring that. Now, the solution, I think is it seems both simple, but it's also probably really intricate in that you're not just planting seeds, you're creating an ecosystem. You're creating something which is an, uh, a biosphere. I'm not sure if I'm using that word right, Jonas, you can tell me if I'm using that word right or not, but something with like interconnected organisms that need to be able to rely on one another and work together to survive over the course of generations. And it sounds like that's the problem that you started off thinking about. Is this a viable solution? Are these drones something that can can build that complex system both quickly and removed from it, seeing as you're dropping seeds from the sky? Yeah, I, I, I've got a bone to pick, though, because I want to stick in the problem for a little bit longer. Yeah, let's do so it. Stick with me, because here's here's what like here's what I want to set the stage as, because I think there's there's some non obvious things that have come up from a macro perspective that people on the ground are looking at, but still trying to figure out and make sense of, but there's, there is a lack, I think, of 
looking at the macro system and saying, where are we headed, especially given the context of climate change? And yeah. the way that, that I look at it is we've, we're planting about 8 million acres a year globally. That's the UN numbers. We look at what we're losing in the US on a 10-year rolling average from the National Interagency Fire Center. It's about 7 million acres to wildfire just in the US. And that's and probably before you account for this year, which had the biggest fires that we've ever seen. This is 2017 to 20 to 2007, 10-year rolling average. And, and that's been going up. It was 2.7 million acres back in 92 to 82. And then it was 4 million, 2002 to 92. Now, uh, 2017 to 2007, we're looking at 7 million acres and it's going to go up. 2019 right. was a little lighter, but 2020 and 2018 were big. Uh, and it has still are big. In fact, um, where next week there's a concern about more fire events in California because of the, the weather patterns. So, but I guess the thing that I think is novel here is, is yes, that's depressing. Um, but what we're looking at from a macro perspective is we have this whole system where we're looking at it and we depend on nature to do a lot of the natural regeneration, but that is decreasing with climate change. And we're still hmm. learning how much that is decreasing but California looks really bad right now. The Northwest, less concerned. Colorado area, really concerned. Um, and what I mean by that is high school biology, like fire in the woods, forests have seeds, they regrow the forest. Well, that's the system we built for, and we have very little nursery capacity, and it's very just in time, and super economically optimized. But what we're seeing is now 40% of fires are not low severity, um, they're moderate to high severity. So they're at risk of never coming back. And mm -hmm. I worked on a project in the Northeast of Columbia, the country, and it's a natural process for highly forested areas. In that case, it was too much lightning strikes um, over hundreds of years. So just turned forests into plains. And then you can see with, as it increases in temperature, plains into desert. And so where we're headed or potentially headed with these models is that as we start to see less and less natural regeneration and we, we have a bottleneck in human systems to be able to do more of our own regeneration, we run those models long enough in, in some early states like California, like Colorado, we simply run out of forests depending upon 10, 20, 30, 40 years. This is a feedback loop. Mm -hmm. um, and this is what my master's was in. But basically the way that's easy for people to understand is a reforestation debt. Yeah, meaning that, and you can see here kind of what that looks like out on the site, but reforestation debt means like if you, for people of their personal finances, if you spend more than you make every year, you start to go into debt and it's not like your salary is going to dramatically, like you depend that your dramatic, your salary will dramatically increase. And that's kind of like, and that's how you would pay that off over time. And that's what we need to do with our tools we need to have better tools than how we currently reforest and how we currently reforest. Um, I can show some video of what that looks like, but before I do that, like, let me just give some credibility here. Here's Tom Porter, the California state fire chief on 60 minutes and saying every acre in California can and will burn someday. And so it's just a, it's a question of, is it going to come back? And right now we're still figuring out, how much will come back and we'll have perfect data sets with perfect models in the future, but we're seeing less and less natural regeneration. My thought is like, maybe we shouldn't wait until we have perfect understanding of how much is going to come back because we'll be looking backwards and we'll have lost a lot of the forest. Instead, let's build the tools 
to be able to reforest faster so that we're reforesting each and every day. So our, our, we're net positive in being able to uh, reforest, I, I said each and every day, but each and every year, um, we reforest everything that we lost nearly immediately after. Let me pause yeah, there to I'm make a, sure yeah. that, that, that we take a minute to understand that. Cause I think it's a really powerful, it's a really powerful concept that can be easily overlooked. The damage that we're doing is not isolated in the momentary instance of doing that damage. It is cumulative in that it gets worse over time. And if we do not accelerate our solutions to this, it will quickly overcome our ability to use the means at hand. I don't think anything I said was simpler than what you said. I think I just used a lot of other words to say it. Other but, words, great summation. But does, is that, yeah. So, okay. That's funny. That, you know, we talk to a lot of people like this and and catastrophic failure that that's, that is cascading is just true in biology in so many ways, whether you're looking at ocean health, whether you're looking at our overall carbon output, and clearly with forests as well, it's so naive of us to think that we could tackle one thing at a time. It is this ecosystem that we're living in that requires a holistic mentality. Yeah, I was just, that was all like phenomenal and exactly what I was thinking about, but it sounded like a little bit like you were, um, Grant, you were talking about like a kind of re, a preemptive reforestation in, in the sense that you're trying to reforest before you actually know how much you've lost, just based off of these rates of deforestation. I, I want to build better tools. Drone Seed's purpose is how do we make reforestation scalable? And right now there's things that limit how much we can reforest today. So let's build the systems because we the current system we built relies on nature to do all the work. And that is declining rapidly yeah. we don't know how much it's going to decline but I, I it's sort of like well let's let's just see how much the boat leaks is like not necessarily a great like approach heading into a storm yeah we broke it we should try to start paying the money to buy it back now so yeah. let's keep let's keep pushing on though because i'm i'm riveted by this uh and for <laughs> the people at home there is a fantastically well-produced slideshow to accompany our i'm sure very adroit and insightful commentary so keep keep forwarding on yeah no absolutely so so here so there's three reasons we 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 can't just turn up reforestation to a lot um number one manual labor manual labor uh the people who do tree planting are absolute superheroes this is on flat terrain most of the time in the northwest in a lot of areas it's mountainous because those are the areas that are not easily transformable into cities or agriculture um but this individual will burn the caloric equivalent of running two marathons every day planting trees and we've got the white papers to back that up um, just to, that is just to clarify one. that it's literally a guy with a tiny shovel digging a tiny hole over and over and over again and then bending down and dropping a seed in it it is exactly what you imagine if you try to plant as many trees as fast as you can that is the technology involved here yes uh with 40 pound bag um on the on the sides of his hips with one to two year old trees and then slamming that shovel in opening up a little space, putting the, the seedling in, and then tamping it down uh, with an ankle called scraping. So that's like a little bit there on the, on the labor. Um, the other reason is that there's a supply chain bottleneck. So if you want to reforest, you send seeds to a nursery, they grow them for a year to two years, depending upon how long you tell them. 
Then there's a refrigerated truck you hire to take it out to site because you just grew it for a year, two years. You don't want to cook it in a metal box on the way out to some place in the middle of nowhere. And then you hire a contractor who then brings in all the labor to then plant these trees. So that's a two-year process, potentially, if you have the seeds and the budget. If you weren't expecting a fire and you're a small landowner, you've got an additional year to apply for funding, identify where your seed's going to come from, et cetera. So you've got this three-year bottleneck. So this is where if you're uh, a feedback, uh, feedback loop um, nerd like I am, like my master's, you're looking at it and you're like, no, delays are bad because they cause these huge <laughs> like sort of pools of like debt, uh, as I've been trying to describe it in layperson lay terms. Um, and that's one of the things that's causing this because then inside of that three-year window, there's another fire. And so some of the capacity needs to get allocated to that in the nursery, et cetera, et cetera. And so this is a big bottleneck that exists in the system currently. We could get away with this because nature did the bulk of the reforestation. We're less and less able to get away with this. And fun fact, um, from my prior venture, it is really hard to get nursery space right now in a greenhouse because marijuana, tons and tons of cultivation mm. of marijuana. And uh, it's really, really, really lucrative, unlike seedlings for forestry. Uh, so if you have a greenhouse, you can allocate it to one of two purposes and one pays a lot of money and the other doesn't. That is, uh, so that's the story there. And then the third reason that we don't do more reforestation is the, the returns on capital. Um, there's an idea, oh, we can just pay for it with carbon credits. Well, most of carbon credits for forestry have been applied to existing stands of forest because they're already older, they're already sequestering carbon in a big way. And if you wanted to apply it to reforestation, well, you had to wait 25 years for the trees to grow because people are incredibly concerned about greenwashing. And so they're like, no, 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 no credits until like it's proven because that way it's not greenwashing. And, it's, and then what happened is, well, you compare that to 25 years of compounded interest in any other financial vehicle and it never made financial sense. So nobody did it. I think we're sold on the two fronts. This is a big problem. The technology right now sucks about it and we need a better solution. Now we've skated by the, the revolutionary thing that you have done. I'd like to dig into that a little bit. What is, what is the secret, if you will, what is the technological advancement that puts us into a place that we can combat the intransience and the debt that we have incurred. Yeah. Well, first is um, let's uh, reduce that bottleneck in the supply chain from three years down to 60 days. And mm -hmm. so that's um, this video here. You'll see this is with uh, Mark Rober and Discovery Channel um, helped launch Team Trees, which raised 20 million bucks for Arbory Foundation. Um, this is uh, a short clip here of three aircraft up in the air, dropping our seed vessels, carrying their full payloads. I mean, this is one of my favorite shots here to show just because it's like, look, it's not vaporware. It exists. <laughs> it is up there. It is doing the things. Um, so yes, we're, what we're operating we're seeing, a smaller scale, but we are we are getting bigger rapidly. So what you're seeing is more or less exactly what you would imagine. Drones flying around areas that have been clear cut, dropping packets, which I, which I only presume to be seeds. But my first and forgive me for being the most obvious question is the video we saw, we saw of the guy digging the hole, dug a hole. How do these seeds work so that you don't need anything in order for them to germinate in the ground? 
And they're also not seedlings, right? These are seeds as opposed to a plant that's been grown in a greenhouse for two years. Correct. Yep. And the, and the, so there's a couple of questions to unpack there. So okay. number one, like Good. the tables have turned. This is wonderful. <laughs> we get uh, now you get to unpack my questions. We're on to something. <laughs> um, yeah. So so first and foremost, like think about a what happens in nature. Tree drops a pine cone. It sits there. Um, it starts to decay, and then there's a seed on the ground. There's no planting it in the ground. Why why do we have that concept? It's because planting it in the ground at a quarter to half inch that allows it to be protected from squirrels, mice, other things, because they don't know it's there. Um, so that's one of the um, methods out there. But if you look at what nature does and what nurseries do, by the way, nurseries just leave the seeds on the top of the little cells that they grow all the seedlings in, is it doesn't need to be underground. Um, mm. But what we do is we put it into a seed vessel. Um, we're real tight-lipped about what that exact vessel is, but Mark Robert did a great job describing it kind of about the size of a hockey puck. And uh, there's a seed in it, and it's already at the right depth in the soil to protect it from predation. We also disclosed in that video one of our ingredients, which is a super spicy uh, pepper. And Mark had a whole <laughs> bunch of fun uh, talking about the olfactory, the olfactory and gustatory deterrence, which means it's super spicy when the squirrels, mice eat it. And it's and that's on the way in and on the way out, which led to lots of conversations about poop emojis and things like that. So, so wait, just to be clear, then, like the 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 enemy here is squirrels. This is squirrels, the primary birds. threat. Birds. Yeah, sure. we won't say they're the enemy. They're doing their natural thing, going yes. around eating all the eating the all the, the seed they course. can they can uh, they can find. But right. if we want forests, we got to get some percentage of that past them, sort of like a capture the flag game. Um, so that it can it can germinate. Now there's we we started with what what is it with paintball guns and hmm. what we what, learned shooting really shooting quick. the squirrels that seems very laborious. <laughs> no, shooting the seed shooting the seeds into a ground like a seed <laughs> bullet, and th that right. so appeals to this like we will just brute force nature and we'll just blast seeds into the ground and like we'll bomb seeds and you know it's like this sort of very like aggressive way to <laughs> to make forests. And, and ultimately what we realize is, is it's this really hard engineering problem that the most eloquent thing we can do is not solve. And so if we put the seed in the, in the dry fibers that make up the uh, seed vessel, um, it's already at the right, the, it's already at the right height in the ground. We don't actually need to like shoot it into the ground. So right. we look at that and we, we started there, no shame. Um, but uh, we were like, mm, this isn't, this isn't actually helpful. And if you just drop the seed, um, in a seed vessel, that's great. If you drop a seed in a, in a, just as a, as a seed, it's a, that was discovered in the seventies. There's conversations that I, that I had with, um, foresters. They're like, yeah, you can do direct seeding, but it's really inefficient on its use of seed. So what you want to do is you want to reduce that quantity of seed and that's what boosts. And that's because it's a valuable resource. Uh, and then you want to boost the seed survival rate. So that's what the seed vessel does is, um, reduce predation, reduce desiccation, which is fancy words for drying out. Um, and then also like make it not, you call it, it's called a microsite, but we, we've narrowed it down to like a, uh, a, like a nanosite where it's a super tiny it's hockey puck size where it's got fertilizers, things hmm. that it needs to grow and it, and it stays hydrated. Um, so how much, what, what's the point of the, um, you said they fly in formation and you're the only company that has the FAA uh, license or authority to be able to fly these drones of the size in this formation. What is the formation and what is the importance of it? 
Yeah. Um, the formation's less important. It's more of many hands make light work, which okay. is that the, the more aircraft that we can put up in the air and the faster that we can turn them around, the better. So that was my next question is that how quickly can you reforest something? How, what is the solution to this bottleneck? Yeah, you're, this is perfect. Um, Every once in a while, a squirrel finds a nut unless he's being carpet bombed <laughs> by drone seed, in which case the rats of Nim are, you know, sheltering in place. But let's go forward with that. So, so how fast a uh, tree planter can do about two acres per day. Now there's some exceptional tree planters out there and they're like, I'm way faster than that. Okay, sure. And there's, there's some really inefficient ones that are like slower than that, but two acres per day is reasonable. Mm -hmm. Um, they've got to do wind sprints up and down mountains carrying 40 pound loads. Um, or you could have a drone that flies. So we're about six times faster over the terrain today. Um, but this is kind of like by being able to navigate terrain faster, we're able to do more in a day as well as reduce the total supply chain um, lag of three years um, by utilizing seeds as opposed to seedlings. So let's let's take a moment and pause on that then because I feel like that's a force multiplier. If you can do six times more than we're capable right now in a day and you have reduced the lag time by three years, someone who's smarter than me, what is the overall increase in option in efficiency in operational efficiency that you have achieved oh man Math there's got to the be an exponent involved in that somewhere you know uh, i don't know i, I, I welcome the something. comments in the video to, to chime in here and be like i did that math here's what it is um but well, the, the orders of magnitude right i mean like it's got to be something where this is a step function increase this isn't a linear increase correct and that's and that's what we're looking for is how do we do more? Yeah, so I'm wondering, I know with the trillion trees concept, it kind of backfired in some ways with monocultures and neglect for diverse ecosystems. So I'm wondering if it, how do you ensure that the ecosystems you create are diverse and that I'm sure the seeds vary by altitude and region a lot. So I, I'm just curious about how much the seeds change and, and how much you change for these vessels each time. Yeah. Um, well, so it's always landowner objective. We'll come back to the trillion trees part and the sort of uh, what's happening with that. Um, but landowners who have just been impacted by fire are not like, hey, let's plant a whole bunch of more trees that are going to get burned again. Um, it doesn't matter what their objectives are. Usually they weren't like see the forest get burned. Um, so whether it's the Nature Conservancy or a timber company or U.S. Forest Service or tribal nations, they're all trying to avoid fire. And polycultures are better at avoiding fire. They're more resilient, They're different trees with different evolved fire adapted systems. And then, so that's the second one, pick your species carefully um, in your polyculture. So some species like ponderosa pine have evolved a, a specific uh, fire adapted mechanism where their bark, if they get to a certain age is more like a crush bumper on a car. Like it's designed to burn a little bit and still allow the tree to stay alive, which is great. That's what you want. I want live trees. Um, other species have other fire adapted systems. Um, and then it goes even more locally than that for us that a lot of people have a, a knee jerk reaction of like, oh, but what about like, is it, is it, is it native? Is it, you know, the, those are great questions to ask, but the, the industry is already ahead of that. But when I say the industry, I mean like more of like foresters, not just timber, but also conservationists, restoration, et cetera. A, a Doug fir tree 
grown at sea level is going to grow differently than a dug fir grown at 5,000 feet of elevation. They're, they're adapted in different ways. And so um, there are seed zones that have been created. They're about the size of counties by the US Forest Service. So it's really important to take seed from those particular seed zones and utilize them um, in the areas that you're um, reforesting. So that's something that particularly like we pay attention to as well is like, what's the, what's the closest seed zone we can utilize to be able to do the reforestation. So uh, let's wrap up some, some big picture stuff. Let's say that you had infinite money that just, you know, the treasury opened its vaults. What does a future look like where we have, we have beaten back, we have paid off our debt and we are in a place right now that we have a sustainable future and that we have planted the number of trees and the right trees and the places they need to be planted. What needs to happen to get us to that reality? This is an awesome place to take this carbon credit markets. So it comes back to, it is amazing. The number of people that we talk to just completely agnostic to what they're doing, what the technology, what the industry is like, it, we need to put a, an effing price on carbon and it needs to be expensive. But my interjection aside, please continue. The, the, the best way to summarize this um, coming from Naval uh, of AngelList fame was like, there's, there's two ways to collectivize action. One is brute force and one is markets. Mm -hmm. And you know, I don't like necessarily creating binaries and it seems like sort of, it can be sort of a, a flawed logic. There's probably other ways to collectivize action, but that's a really compelling way to say like, yes, we could sort of brute force and just like totalitarian, like dictatorship says everybody must plant trees and you get everything from mason jars, et cetera. Um, that's, that's a very great leap forward mentality. Um, or we could incentivize with markets uh, a price on carbon. And I think the, the further thinking in that is there's always a temptation of like, well, I'm just gonna hoard all the money in the world and then I'll be rich. Well, an economy is the circulation of money. So at the same time that like, we actually have to have circulating money getting spent on reforestation, going through the economy, coming back, getting spent on reforestation again, et cetera, et cetera. It's not just a, well, if we spend $100 billion on trees, instead of spending them on 10 aircraft carriers, we would be out of climate change. Well, yes, you would be out of climate change. You, you, would, you would have mitigated a lot of the um, worst effects of climate change for five to 10 years, but then you still have all of the rest. And then what are you going to do? How, how are you going to get another $100 billion? And I started this by saying, we're an opening pitcher. We're an opening pitcher in this for, for other technologies and direct air carbon capture. Um, other, it's a, it's a team sport. We need closers. And um, other technologies, like forestry doesn't matter at all if there's another 100 coal fired power plants that open up at all. Right. Maybe. You, you mentioned something before, which I always shudder at, which is rational human. Perhaps each of us individually can attain that collectively. I think we're falling a little bit short, but maybe that future is attainable if we keep putting the word out, if we keep celebrating our successes, if we keep championing the people that are doing the right thing, which brings us right to this very neat close, which is to say, thank you so much for the work that you're doing and the innovations that you have brought to bear because clearly it, it's 
we're seeing the devastation rot. And it makes me feel a little bit better to know that people like you and companies like Drone Seed are attacking that head on and providing, you know, a little bit of, of light at the edge of what is otherwise a dark cloud. Yeah. Well, and, and thank you. Thank you for, for having me. Um, the, on the rational, rational humans, it's, it's the, the thought I have there is humans are rationalizing, not rational. And so mm-hmm. to the extent that we rationalize to ourselves, yeah, Teslas are super sexy and I want to drive one. Also good for the environment. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing that we should be doing now with carbon markets. Hard to, hard to make that as sexy as a Tesla, but like that's the direction we want to head, which is like, how, what is that economic system which we can all be super proud of that, has, that, that, that treats people uh, with justice, equity, fairness, and also brings us to the future we want to be in? Totally. Listen, I find carbon markets and dirigibles remarkably sexy. So count me <laughs> in the minority. Um, Christy, Jonas, thank you guys so much for coming on board. You've asked some awesome questions. Thanks. Thanks for having us. And that was our episode with Grant Canary here at Who's Saving the Planet with me, Christy, our host Lex, and Jonas Donenfield. And if you want to learn more about reforestation efforts, check out our website and our blog, where we recently posted an article about how you can help with reforestation efforts. Yay, Christy. (laughs) Thanks, Christy. All right, we'll see everybody next week. Cheers.